This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are, well, off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs and talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Julian Spillane joins me in talking about two action flicks with The Man From U.N.C.L.E. and Man On Fire. Welcome! Hello, hello. Thanks again for having me. Oh, thank real, you for coming It's a real man-filled movie fest tonight. <laughs> it really is. It's just like dudes being dudes doing dude things. So you're just like, what? Okay. <laughs> It's just man on man on fire from uncle. That's really, that's really all it is. Uh, the thing about the thing I realized about watching man from uncle, I don't know why I didn't pick up on this before is that it's technically a prequel to the man from uncle. It's not actually yes. the man from uncle. Yes. It's actually pretty cool. It's like a, a lead up to the original series and like a really obvious love letter Um Man, I have a lot to say about the man. From <laughs> I have less to say about Man on Fire, but mm-hmm. I still have things to say about Man on Fire. But Man from Uncle is such a weird anomaly for me, and I will mm-hmm. go into it. Uh, I, I can go into it whenever we want to. But I, I yeah. bizarre ass film that really tickles me in various different ways. <laughs> oh no, I I totally get it because most people I know may have heard of it, but they've never seen it, and they're like, "Why? It looked like crap," and I'm like. What are you talking about? Exactly. And I get all up in arms about it. But then I can't really ex- like because explaining it, it's so campy that you're just like explaining it makes it sound cheap. And you're just like, no, no, you have to you have to watch this and experience it in a very special, special way. I mean, look, I, I think I think Man from Uncle's biggest crime was opening a month before Spectre. Yeah, that like, would definitely have been a problem. Which in retrospect, I mean, Spectre's a bag of shit. It is it the is. worst Bond movie ever made by far. It's worse than Quantum of Solace. And that... You, think it's, you think it's worse than Quantum of Solace? I think so, because, <gasps> because Quantum of Solace is at least a movie with a beginning, middle, and end. And if, especially if you treat Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace as one film, like, mm-hmm. it actually has, like, coherence. Spectre was hot shit like oh my god <laughs> christoph waltz couldn't save that movie no he can nobody save anything. Could. yeah nobody yeah. could one thing about the um daniel craig bond movies is that their opening sequences are phenomenal okay yeah like Everybody went into Casino Royale being skeptical, whether it's because you're like, no, our Bond doesn't have blonde hair. Or if you're just like, "Mm, I don't know, why are they making more Bond movies? Whatever camp you were in, everybody went into Casino Royale kind of just like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work. And then the opening sequence starts and you were hooked from that moment on. Yeah. Oh even Qua- yeah, even Quantum of Solace, that opening sequence with Mr. White and the car chase and everything, spectacular. And okay? don't forget the CSIS officers, the first time <laughs> Canadian spies uh... show up. And you're just like, oh, no, don't, yeah. no. Um, um, but then, no, but it's true, Inspector, that's the, that's the one that opens in Mexico City. 
um, where he like destroys three buildings and just kind of like walks away from hanging off of a helicopter. Anyways, but that opening sequence was just, I don't, I don't like it technically has all of the things to make it fun and exciting, but it just does not work. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. Like it just felt like nothing. There was no direct, there was no tension, but there was also no objective for bond in that opening scene. But anyway, mm-hmm. I mean, Spectre, so so here's my thoughts on Man from Uncle. As I was, as I was saying earlier, just before we started recording, uh, I, I've seen this movie with a surprising degree of regularity because I will be chatting with a friend, we'll be hanging out and going like, wait, and, and inevitably, you know, talking about movies, because that's basically, I either talk about video games, movies, or music, and I don't really have any other interests. So inevitably, uh, yeah. spy movies will come up. Uh and I bring up the man from uncle and no one has seen it. Right. Like every single person that I know who I think would like the film hasn't seen it. So I inevitably put it on because it's one of those, like, if you're not going to watch it now with me, you're never going to watch it because mm-hmm. I am the only advocate you'll ever meet. Um, <laughs> except for me. Except for I you. Guess, yeah. <laughs> and like it's, and, but everyone who watches it then becomes like, go, goes away going, that was fucking great. Why didn't I see this? And I contend, and it's the same reason I didn't see it in theaters. It I also didn't out, see in theaters, yeah. It, it came, the trailers for Spectre and Man from Uncle were running at the same time. And I was just like, I don't know if I'm in the mood for two spy films back to back. And I, that was wrong. Cause like, and also, I don't know, I was a little Guy Ritchie'd out at that point too. 2015, like, it, we, we'd been inundated with like Sherlock Holmes films at this point. And, and like, there's two there's two Guy Ritchies. There's the Guy Ritchie that des- that is desperately chasing Lockstock every single time, and so then you get Rock and Rolla and shit like that. Um, and then there's the like, you know, and and there's the Guy Ritchie. Actually, there's three Guy Ritchies. There's a Guy Ritchie who this makes sequels to his other movies. That's a guy, I guess. I guess. And then there's the Guy Ritchie who like has a passion for something, makes something, and then smoke bombs away and disappears. Like the Gentleman, um, fantastic film. But like, and it really wasn't trying to be, you know, Snatch. It wasn't trying to be Revolver. <laughs> Revolver um, was so bad. Oh I God. also, uh, I must admit, I did not see The Gentleman, though. I did mm. not see that one. It is a very, very, he basically discovered Hugh Grant is way better when he's not, tr- you know, being young Hugh Grant, uh, effusive British playboy. Um <laughs> And, and he's found again, like through the man from uncle, I think it was his first time casting Hugh Grant and he discovered that he could get a, you know, really fun performances out of him. And he really fucking leans into it in the gentleman. Well worth your watch. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I man from uncle. I, I have so much to say about this ridiculous film. Um, I will contend that it is the last uh, in so far of movies that I have seen and know about. I think it's the last true classic spy film that's been made in a long time you know what i am going to i'm trying i'm trying to think mm-hmm. i think i might agree with you on that because it because it is really just it's not like james bond spy you know where it's all like hot high profile you know cool stuff going on or whatever like that cool stuff does happen in this but it's not like it's not a i mean is it a world ending thing it's not really a world ending thing it's not like you know evil bad guy trying to take over the world it's just like 
bad people doing some bad things and giving bad stuff to bad people. And you're like, no, slap on the hand. Yeah. I mean, this was like, I don't know. This really felt more like a, uh, did you ever watch the Harry Palmer films with, um, with Michael Caine uh, when he was younger in the sixties? Um, gonna say no. So I really feel like this is a love letter to like those old British spy flicks that were like tongue in cheek, campy, cheesy, but like, still serious kind of all like it was like the british response to the noir trend in the u and in, in hollywood then i really feel like this is this was guy Ritchie like throwing back to his youth throwing back to watching obviously watching the man from uncle tv series watching mission impossible the tv series mm-hmm. um and it, it really felt like a love letter to that side of spy shit and as you say not like the bond side where it's all like budget and gadgets and gizmos this really just felt like a a fun cold war throwback um yes definitely and i am a little tired of the modern spy films like i don't know i think i i put a lot of blame on the born series uh Uh for for that and some of the like newer jack ryan shit where like it's all gritty action shots of like burly dudes kicking (laughs) off of walls in hallways like you know the, the newer bond stuff does that too to yeah. positive effect but I, I it's getting a little like played out where the charm aspect of a spy is missing in a lot of these well i think um i'm not gonna say uh, let me say this i think movies like um man on fire adds to that problem but <laughs> i find man i actually like the movie man on fire spoiler i just said it out really early um but it's it's that like Tony Scott movies like do that thing where they're everybody's very serious. For some reason, they do the Michael Bay spin around, but everybody's really angry compared to like, you know, bad boys where it's like the camera spins around and there's a joke. You're like, no, camera spins around and you shoot somebody in the face like, yeah, you know, makes a difference. And I think that kind of like excessive grittiness started maybe in the mid 90s where they were like they're like no cinema is too colorful and everybody's too happy and we got to like bring it down and have emotions and everything has to be rooted in reality and we're gonna bad guys are gonna be bad and good guys are gonna be good and you're like okay and then you just end up with the same thing over and over again but that's always been a hollywood problem right where it's just like one type of movie, like they finally make a certain type of movie and they realize, oh, this makes money. Then they make 35 of them. Yeah. And I, and like, it, it is exactly. And yeah, you can lay some of the blame at uh, the Denzel one man wrecking crew genre of film speed. <laughs> um, and I, I agree. Like there's too many, I think what makes this film charming, I actually think what really does make it work is the buddy cop aspect to it. We don't get a lot of buddy cop spy films and, and I do get a little tired of the, like, you know, the one man wrecking crew that is, you know, Craig Bond, um, <laughs> you know, the previous Bonds were often at their best when they had like a doofy sidekick or somebody they were forced to work with in you know, various scenes. Like, you, you know, I don't have a lot of love for more era Bond, but there's like, you know, Live and Let Die is a great film because you have to jump around between various, you know, people assailing and assisting bond it's not just yes. him kicking you know fucking ass and taking names like that bond fucks up yes yes he does um yeah I, and, and i agree with you and i just think the cast that they put together like the like vikander and army hammer and um and henry cavill like 
they have such good chemistry on screen that you make like their banter becomes believable and they're they're building to their like of each other is believable it also works at their hate for each other beginning also works because of that because if there was no chemistry between them you would never believe their friendship you'd never believe that they hated each other and then they became to like each other at the end you'd be like no they have a shootout and kill each other at the end yeah you know what i mean yeah i mean like and like you know henry cavill is is so good at being such a smarmy prick that you want to punch him in the face you understand army hammer's characters you know loathing towards napoleon solo but he's also so good at like you know the, the, the slow redemption arc showing his actual worth like there's a lot of character development and also not for nothing um the colors in this movie are gorgeous beautiful it pops it's like that real i wonder how they actually treated it i know it's obviously it was all digitally shot but i wonder how they um treated it in post-production to really get that 1960s, like late 60s, early 70s color saturation. That's what it really felt like, especially in those Italian vistas when, you know, when they're going through Italy and they've got all those like bright popping colors. Well, even, even simple scenes, like when they first took, um, uh, what's her name? Like the Candor's character, I forgot her name is. Um, Uh, Tell her. Yes. Tell her. They took her shopping. I know this sounds very high level and stuff, but the colors that they chose for the boutique, because the boutique itself is just sort of like a beige color with like a rose tone on it. And then there's racks of clothing. And then she comes out on this, like they have like a stage platform for her to dress up on, which I think is hilarious. But she's in this like white and orange getup that could come across as garish, but you're just like everything 60s and everything beautiful and it's just so saturated and so pretty and you're just like and it's a simple scene but it's grand absolutely yeah i i i can't speak highly enough of the like the the costuming in that film the lighting the set decoration like holy shit yeah um also you know not for nothing kudos to the casting director and guy Ritchie for casting diversity by including a cannibal in their cast army hammer you know (laughs) cannibals need jobs too I know the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm just like, oh my god, I like your character and I hate you so much. Yeah. Isn't he? I heard wasn't there an article put out the other day that they found him working at like a desk in a hotel somewhere and like the Cayman Islands or something? Like it was just something really random and weird. Probably. I like, I what? Mean, he, he wanted to get the fuck out of out of Dodge, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. He's ruined all of his movies and he's made some great movies and he comes across as like a likable character all the time well except for um the one he did with johnny depp at that lone ranger that was just oh yeah jesus um but even even movies like um uh, sorry to bother you where he plays this like outlandish crazy character but you're and you're not like and he's technically the bad guy but you like him in it you know and he also did that oh where's that one room shootout movie that had um uh, Miss Marvel in it. Uh, oh, Captain Marvel in it. Sorry, not Miss Marvel. Captain Marvel in it. Oh, Free Fire. Free, Free Fire. Fire. Yes, that movie was rad. That movie was great. Like I, I like when I went into the movie, I was just like, you're just gonna have like I, I understand a one room movie. That's fine, but a one room shootout movie seems like <laughs> like a scene, not a movie. Yeah. You know, um, but they make it work, and it's fantastic. It's great. Um, but like the director is uh fucking notorious for those kinds of ridiculous films um he did high rise the the jeremy irons film 
um, just a directed. He's directing the new Meg movie. Really? Oh my yeah. god! Okay. <laughs> yeah, like just just it, you know, it kind of reminded me of uh, Shoot 'Em Up. Um, yeah, which also just a fantastic weird bottle film. Everything's <laughs> fucking weird in that. It's so weird. You're just like, where is this going? Why is this happening? What is going on in this scene exactly? I don't know. So Man from yeah. Uncle is an odd one. Did you know it was in development hell for like 25 years <laughs> or probably like 22 years or something like that? I did not know that. Yeah. So like the producer who and the same producer ended up like executive producing a thing, optioned it in the 90s uh, mm-hmm. and couldn't land it because they just couldn't settle on what was going to happen. Tarantino was tapped to write a draft. That didn't work. Okay. Soderbergh was attached to direct and that fell apart and it just kept like getting people signed. Matthew Vaughn was going to direct at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kept falling apart until Richie just optioned it, but he wanted to write and direct and do it all. And it eventually happened, but like, it was bizarre that it took them, you know, over 20 years to adapt this IP. Like, you know, well, it's not, not like it's a terribly popular or unpopular concept. Right. Yeah, but I think one of the reasons that happened when it did was we are in the age of remakes and reboots and, you know, like money making nostalgia, you know, and essentially anything, even I I think I'm going to go to Marvel with this because Marvel started with like B and C characters that are now A characters um, so like you go to you, you you go to these um production companies and you're just like, look, I know this is not the most popular thing, but people remember and we'll make a good movie out of it, you know. And in the 90s, they made the Avengers, not superhero yep. the Avengers, TV show Avengers. I know that was horrible, horrible. So that probably gets something to do with it. But then nostalgia became came back in style again, and they're just like, look, if we do it right we can bring these things back and do it well. And finally, they're probably just like, you know what? Guy Ritchie makes movies that make money. People are making money off of nostalgic things. Let's do it. Whatever. Yes, very much. But counterpoint, the Avengers gave us Sean Connery talking about his weather machine. (laughs) So I don't know. Like, maybe it's the greatest gift to cinema ever made. I mean, uh, plus Uma Thurman in that like cat suit. So, yes, I I mean, mean, that's the thing. I saw the movie in the theater me because too. I was so excited about it, and I was like, "This is gonna be awesome." The peels and, on the big screen. Yeah. Yes, and then you sat there and watched it and went, "Oh my god, what's going on?" Yeah, no, it was, yeah. it was it was not great. Yeah, that's but, kind of like uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen did that as oh. well, where you're just like, "You have wasted so much." Also a Sean Connery vehicle. Yes, this is what reminded me of it, yeah. Poor bastard. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like, going from from one end of the spectrum to another, like, swinging from Guy Ritchie to Tony Scott, uh, I'm going to admit I had a lot more love of Man for Man on Fire when I saw it in theaters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rewatching it, I'm like, okay. there. This is a film that has good shit in it, but it's entirely because of its cast, and it's like camera work. The the script is horrible. Um, and it's it to me, I, it might be the weakest. It might be the weakest Tony Scott film outside of Unstoppable. What about Domino? Was Domino? Did he direct Domino? Yeah, he did. Okay, I've got, but I do. <laughs> okay, 
yes, objectively, Domino is a worse movie, but I like the story of Domino Harley. Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah. You know, I, I think I find I'm, I'm, I like the premise more. And I feel like I will say uh, modern action thrillers and Denzel himself has ruined or like tainted man on fire for me in that his, he's had some, some better performances in similar movies. Like the equalizer to me is like five times it's doing what man on fire set out to do, but better. Okay. But that's hindsight. Right. And it's the same thing that like, you know, I've got a special set of skills and I need to rescue this kidnapped girl uh, through violence was later done better through taken. Yeah. <laughs> but I understand that they were all building off of the work done on man of fire, but it's just like going back and watching it. It feels like it's missing some elements. And I think that's, it's a hard, uh, hard sell for me to like love. I think still, it was still a good time. Yeah. I think based on what you're saying, it's, it has that, um, that problem where a lot of like genre type films have where, you know, you see the first movie in that genre and you're like, oh my God, this is so good. I haven't seen it before. This is awesome. But then you see a whole bunch of movies that do the same thing, either in pieces or slightly better. And then you go back to that movie and you're just like, oh, this is garbage. I'm like, yeah, it was the first time it was done. They were trying things, you know what I mean? And I think this movie has that problem where you're like, I have seen all of the elements of this movie in 35 other films and done some done better some done worse you know sometimes it's the actor sometimes it's the script sometimes it's the cinematography sometimes it's it missing the 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 gross green you know overlay on it so you're just like it's brighter but i mean i watched it and i was just like yeah i get it okay this is it's it does what it it's meant to do i think sure absolutely uh i mean and also not for nothing i don't really like the way Brian Helgeland, the screenwriter, writes things. Um, mm-hmm. I know everyone loves L.A. Confidential, but I find I find it kind of flat. Um, um, I've never seen L.A. Confidential. Oh, it's worth a watch. Um, yeah. And like Payback, too. I don't know if you've seen Payback, but like, yeah, I don't know. There's just like stuff about the, the way the dialogue is written in all those movies that just kind of grates at me, and I can't put my finger on why. Okay. Um, it's know. all the same screenwriters, so that's it's it must just be a stylistic thing. It might be because the way their dialogue comes across in the movie, it's very like how to describe it. It's it um uh sound bite, you know, it's just like a line here, oh yeah, then a line here, but every line has to be a very specific line to be like you're like, no, I can cut this line and it'll be amazing by itself. You know, it's that kind of thing. You can tell in, because of the the best worst line ever given to cinema in Man on Fire. Christopher Walken, you know, a man can be an artist and whatever. Creasy's art is death. He's about to paint his masterpiece. Like, fuck off, Christopher. Look, when Christopher Walken says anything, it is art, okay? <laughs> but trust me, you put that in the mouth of anybody else and there is no way they could have pulled that You get Andrew Dice Clay to say that. Oh, like... God, no. <laughs> uh, okay, so based on what you're saying, I looked up the writer and the movie I've seen that he's written was A Knight's Tale. <laughs> so... There you go. And he directed A Knight's Tale. Helgelin directed A Knight's Tale. Oh, God. I love A Knight's Tale. Knight's Tale is great. It is. I oh, mean, wait. Sorry. I also 
watch Cirque de Freak, the vampire's assistant. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I've, why? Never, I've never even heard of that one. I think I was really? too busy. I think oh. I was too busy watching the taking of Pelham One Two Three, which also sucks. <laughs> I will not recommend mm, that. Might be that the Tony. Not. That might be the Tony Scott movie I hate the most: the taking of Pelham One Two Three. Oh yeah, no, I refuse to watch that one. I was <laughs> like, that's not a thing that's happening for me. Um, yeah, no, those are his two movies I've actually watched. Like all of his movies are movies I know of. Yeah, but I've never yeah, watched yeah. Like, any of them. Like he and like I don't know. I kind of liked the order. I like I like, but I, I think also that's just I like um, Heath Ledger. Yes, <laughs> he he was underrated. You know, well before Batman, uh, and I like weird um, movies about like blaspheming the church. So it, <laughs> it works really well. It works for you. Yeah, you're just like this is where I need to be right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what Alan Tudyk was in there, and mm. um, Paul Bettany. I think that's the first thing I saw Paul Bettany in, unless he did, um, uh, not Angels and Demons, uh, the Da Vinci Code before that one. Did he do Da Vinci Code? Before I that think one? the Da Vinci Code was after. I think it was uh, okay. like 2004, 2005. So then, yes, the Night's Tale would have been like the first thing I would recognize Paul Bettany in. Yeah, uh, he did. He did um, a Night's Tale and a Beautiful Mind in the same year. Whew. Oh, he was in he was in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, a year prior. Paul Bettany. Yeah, love that movie. I I know. Remember him at all in it? I'm sure he was a bit role. He's got a name. It's a named role, but like it could have been a guy in a crowd. Could have been, you Mm -hmm. know, who knows? But yeah, I I, that's news to me. So yes. See, now I got to go back and watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang just for fun. Uh, wait, who needs an excuse to watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? It's a great movie. It is great. You just need time. Time to like that's why I like having excuses because then I can be like, oh, it's an event. I'll slot that into my calendar. It. Exactly, exactly. I, here's what I'll say about Man on Fire. A ridiculously unnecessarily good cast. It's like, like, why was Mickey Rourke cast in this film? Like that role <laughs> is like could it, it didn't need to be like they cast Mickey Rourke as the lawyer. Yep. Who well, dies off screen. Yeah. And is just smarmy in like three scenes. I'm like, like, okay. I, and then like, you know, anyone could have played Rayburn, but they cast Walken. It was supposed to be Brando. Brando was supposed to play Rayburn, but he was like in the midst of dying. So I feel well, like they... apparently Walken was supposed to play the lawyer and Walken was just like, no, I'm tired of playing the bad guy. I want to play a good guy. And so he got the other role. That's reasonable. You know, yeah. Walken says, I want to play a different role, but I still want to be in your movie. You say, okay, yes, we'll sir. make this work. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, also, Dakota Fanning was so precocious in this film. You can see why her career was like, just, just like super, super uh, talkative and charismatic for a child. Cause mm-hmm. like child actors are notoriously uh, wooden, wooden. And, mm-hmm. You know, between this and I am Sam, um, I can see why like she suddenly went like blew up, right? Yeah, because she's she's a child that can actually act. She can perform. She's she's putting it out there. Like you believe her character, you believe her feelings, you believe what she's going through, mm. and like watching her on screen, you're just like, was it hidden cameras? Does she not know she's on camera? She's running around. Like what is going on? You know. But apparently, um, I was reading some like the trivia stuff on IMDb. And um, even like Denzel Washington would be like watching her in scenes and like he's in the scene with her. And I don't know how true it is, but apparently he'd like forget he's in the scene and they'd be like, 
it's your lines or you know <laughs> that kind of thing but yeah no like she's just fantastic and i'm surprised she hasn't been in more things in a little while but i think that regularly happens to child actors because people have to remember they they're not a child all the time and then they have to do that transition to be an adult but nobody likes that in between time you know i mean she had a good run she she actually had a good run she was in um recently she was in oceans eight um which i i I, I didn't love it but i didn't i didn't hate it um she was in once upon a time in hollywood she was squeaky from oh my god she was yeah oh okay yeah i don't know what she's up to now but um presumably i mean that was only what three years ago yeah. so presumably there's something coming along maybe she's in a tv show everyone's in tv now there's no no one makes films anymore it's just all television <laughs> films yeah, are for it's, marvel it's it's pretty good tv you gotta admit absolutely i just finished ms marvel uh-huh i have not i'm feeling very bad about this i really need to finish that because i really want to because I, I was a little hesitant to go in just because I was like, oh, is this going to be like a YA show? Am I going to feel like I'm like I'm watching like a CW show? Because um, I, I felt awkward. But that first episode hooked me and it's just an amazing story about family and partition and like lots of stuff there. So I, I and it ends strong. Stay off social yeah. media. There's a lot of spoilers. Yeah, I noticed that already. I was just like scrolling. And I'm like, oh, that's ruined. Oh, I was so yeah. mad. I was like, what? <laughs> I had I had it ruined by social media too. Yeah. God uh, yeah, no, I think I have uh, three episodes to watch. Uh, so I did watch it when it first premiered. I really liked the episodes, but then other stuff came out that was getting spoiled. And I was like, let me finish this. So I like, mm-hmm. I watched um, Umbrella Academy and of course, Stranger Things um, and fantastic, uh, both of it. I still haven't um, finished season three of Stranger Things, so I'm going to like binge through that because I need to finish The Boys season three. Yes. Uh, and then I got to catch up on Umbrella Academy. Yeah. Then I got to finish. Like it's it's <laughs> watching television is a full time goddamn job now and I well, don't get paid for it. <laughs> well, it's it's not like how it used to be. Like I kind of wish they'd go back to this, even though we used to find it frustrating where you'd have you'd have like from February to June new shows. Then June to mid-September, nothing new. Mm-hmm. Then mid-September to November, new stuff. Then you have an hiatus. So you have like breaks, you know? But because, you know, with streaming and all that kind of stuff, they always want people to be interested. They always want people to be doing stuff. There's just this like constant churn of stuff. And I think because they're like TV has elevated itself so much, or what we consider television. It's not really television number. They're just like long films that are cut up into pieces now. Yeah. Um, like it's it's just so much. You just want to watch all of the things because they're good. Yeah. And, and they desperately want engagement, right? So they want you to never stop watching. Here's all the making ofs to tie you over between the next show that's coming out. And like, it's kind of exhausting, but I still like the content. So fuck it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly but i i I can't think of two movies more different from one another than man on fire and the man from uncle you know like they're they're both action flicks and they're got man in the title um i I think that's where the similarities end really well they have underused female characters um Mm -hmm. i think in man from uncle they use their female character much better um like she actually has like a proper personality and a purpose and she does things. Which Both I think her and great. the villain, um, Elizabeth Debicki as Victoria, she was 
fucking great. I, I liked that, uh, that like th- these weird, like Italian fascists uh, as the, as the villains, I think it was mm-hmm. a great take. Um, Cause you don't really see a lot of like uh, the post war, like Italian fascismo stuff that like hung around. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really see a lot of media that deals with it because like everyone's like, Oh, Italy, they surrendered, you know, like, but uh, there was still a lot of like pro fascist attitudes in Italy into the cold war yes. and seeing like them playing from that bit of history was fun. I thought they were really like, you know, uh, Dibiki was playing a real like femme fatale archetype and did a damn good job of being that like smarmy femme fatale. Um, but Vikander was also really good as Gabby Teller because like she defied a lot of the archetypes and stereotypes of a leading lady in a spy film, um, yes. which I think was great. Yeah, because a leading lady in a spy film is usually just random arm candy who gets murdered by the villain to make the man upset about something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> where she had like, she's like, no, this spy film is technically around my character. You guys think you're using me, but I'm actually using you, uh, which I think is great because it's kind of like a, like a dirty, rotten scoundrels thing where it's just like, no, we're, we're going to show like two guys against each other showing them how great they are at their craft and where the girl's just like, I'm much better than you are, FYI, you know, (laughs) which I thought was great. I I liked that aspect of it. It was awesome. It was also a good third act twist. Yeah. That's what I liked about that. It's kind of came out of nowhere. um, And, but it came out of nowhere, but wasn't in in typical Guy Ritchie fashion, they flashback showed you how it didn't come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a way that didn't make you feel angry, you went, Oh, that is very clever good on you guy yeah um and and it was it was it was just at all not for nothing i loved all the like pissing contests about soviet era gadgets versus uh you know soviets versus american gadgetry and spy tech and it, it's both garbage yeah well actually one thing i i noted about that stuff is that the soviet spy tech was better than the american but the american stuff was used in a much more subtle way, if you know mm. what I mean, you know? So it's like the Americans had the technique, but the the Soviets had like the actual like power and like the knowledge to do the things, which I thought like, was great. What was that one, like the gag about like the fence cutting laser? Yeah, the they're, they're like a, a something laser hardened like thing. And he's like, I just have the laser. And he's like, yeah, you know, yeah, cuts yeah, exactly. the thing, which does make a lot more sense. Yeah, it was it was very clever, very witty. I and it's I think it's one of those like almost infinitely rewatchable films. I I don't get tired of it. Um, I don't I, either. I've watched this movie a lot of times. Um and I just find it thoroughly entertaining to look at. Like you laugh, there's good action sequences where you feel like there's there's something um to lose, you know? Like I I think the biggest problem with a lot of action films is that they do not build the character enough or they don't build the situation enough for you to actually be fearful in an action sequence you're just like well he's the hero he's gonna live whatever you know mm-hmm. like like that kind of thing whereas I, I think with this movie where the action is happening there's like actual like peril involved and you want the the characters to survive and you don't want them to be hurt and you want them to like to to live kind of thing like you want to know about them well and that's the beauty of a buddy cop or like a duo movie is like yes do we think the italians will succeed in launching their nukes no of course not but do we know if 
you know, Ilya or Solo are going to come out unscathed? Like, we don't know, right? Are you going to lose a character? How does this tie in and build up, right? So, like, they, they, I think there's a bit more room for stakes, as you as you point out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, I don't know, there's a lot of, I thought it was just, like, and because of the, the, the humor was paced well, too, like, the whole sitting and eating the lunch while chaos is going in the truck bed while yes, chaos I is love going that on scene. in that. Yeah. It's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's quite a few scenes like that, which I just find entertaining, you know, like the part right at the beginning where they're in the car chase and um, Army Hammer is like running after the car um, and he's just like sitting in the back seat, just looking at him running. He's like, what is this? Like, <laughs> are you some kind of he's trying to stop the car? He like rips off the back of it. Yeah. And, you know, when he gets back to like the good side or whatever, and he's just like, He's not even calling it a him or a man. It's an it. Like yeah. <laughs> it's toured off the back of our car. Like what? You know, I thought that was hilarious. And, and and then later on, when it's not even when they first meet is later on in the film, like when they're in Italy and stuff, he finally starts referring to him like as a person, not like a thing. Yeah, not and like then a machine. He, like a machine. And and it's a very subtle thing. Like if you're not paying attention. You'll miss it. But again, I've watched the movie many times, but there's a subtle change in how they refer to each other, um, which allows you to believe that they're like, no, you're a human being, not just my enemy or not just like a weird thing from over there. And that's when you're like, no, you guys are friends now. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like I I. I am blown away by, by how good that movie is and how long it stands up and like how well it stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been seven years, right? That movie yeah. is seven years old, which makes me feel ancient now just thinking about <laughs> it. Yeah, it's just time just keeps going by and it's painful. It's, it's kind of horrible. Well, um, if you think about it, okay, so like Man on Fire comes out in 2004. A year and a half later, we get Casino Royale, mm-hmm. right? Then flash forward a decade, we get Spectre and Man from Uncle adjacent to one another. So it's, you know, interestingly topical. But you can see already that like Casino Royale probably took some cues from, from Man on Fire and from that with where things were going in action thrillers at the time. Yeah. Like, grittier, beefier, meatier things, right? Yeah, because they they really wanted like, especially after the whole thing with um Oh my God, my brain's dying. Uh, Remington Steele, what's his name? Oh uh, God, um, uh, uh, Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan. Thank God, Pierce Brosnan. I'm like, why can't I remember this man's name? Um, yeah, like they, like they, they did this with like Batman and stuff too. Are they like they went too campy and they're like, no, we can't, we can't keep going in this direction. This is just not working. You know, like this is not the the camp level that they brought on screen did not translate well. You know, and I think that's what brought everything back to the like, no, if we're going to do this, you know, we're going to make it realistic. You know, that's when we get like the Christopher Nolan Batmans and and all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you have like Casino Royale where just like, no, yes, it's it's spy. It's going to be, you know, he's going to have like fancy locales and look really good in a suit and everything. And we're going to throw in some images for, you know, the chicks to get into it. Have them (laughs) without a shirt on a regular basis. Fine. Yeah. Um. But we're going to make it like realistic, you know, it's like no ejection seats, no, no crazy like things happening. 
but you know, we're going to make it real. And I think that's where a lot of action things went, you know, with like born and, and stuff as well. But again, it's just gone too far in that direction, I think. Um, and I think the same thing is happening with the like superhero star Wars stuff where you're just like, it's too much of the same stuff. You gotta, you gotta change things around here and there. Gotta make things a little bit different. Gotta, you know, switch it up. Yeah. I, and like, I, yeah, that's why I, I, you know, of, of all the DC films that came out um, in the first like wave of DC films after the Nolan trilogy, um, I really liked Shazam and birds of prey more than anything else in that run because uh, you know, I, I found the fucking Man of Steel is so painfully bad. I'm sorry, Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, both of the Wonder Woman movies, to be honest. Yeah. Well, 84 uh, was so bad, and Wonder so Woman bad. was just like, okay. It, it, like, it, was, it was mediocre, and yeah. people were losing their shit. It's so good, simply because it is way better than movies before, but that didn't make it good. Exactly. Like, you know... Yes, this shitty piece of moldy bread is not gonna better than eating arsenic, but you know, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. But, but that's why I, I like Shazam and Birds of Prey because they were telling interesting stories, but with a bit of levity. They weren't afraid to be silly. Like comic books are inherently stupid. I love them mm-hmm. because, and like they can tell serious, dark, gritty stories, but it's the moments of like levity and. And, and brightness that make the darkness, like you can't, if everything's dark and gritty, then it's all meaningless. You need a bit of hope to offset the, the, the grim because then it feels really meaningful when something bad happens, right? Yes. Exactly. And vice versa. I, I absolutely agree with you. And the problem with a lot of those DC films is that they took themselves way too seriously. And then to try to counteract that, they went completely the opposite way and you're just like, but but you're missing the point. Yeah. <laughs> like you can have dark things, but like you said, you have to balance it out to give the audience and the characters in your story hope. Because if no matter what they do, everything's dark and horrible, what's the point? Exactly. But don't worry, I'm sure that Ezra Miller flash film is gonna turn out just oh my fine. God. Oh, <laughs> Oh my god. Every time I hear anything about Ezra Miller, I'm just like, what is happening? The terror what? of Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Ezra Miller. Jeez. I don't know. The first time I heard he was cast as the Flash, I was just like, what are you people doing? That's crazy. Because at that point in time, the only thing I had known him from was we need to talk about Kevin. Oh yeah. And I forgot all about that. No, that's the every time I see his face, that's literally the only movie I think of. And then I'm like, oh yeah, he's also the Flash. That's literally what happens. I think the only thing I've ever actually seen. I did end up watching Fantas- the first Fantastic Beast movie, so I saw I saw them in that. Oh um, yeah, so yeah, but he's um, not in it much. He's no. You know. I, the Stanford Prison Experiment was the film that I was first introduced to Ezra Miller. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but I feel bad for what's the dude's name? Grant Gustin, the guy who plays uh, the Flash in the CW show. Like, oh yeah, he he looks the part. He's from all accounts very nice, like not a piece of shit. And like he's people love him as the Flash. And it's like, oh man, I feel bad that that guy is like relegated to not play him in the cinema in like theatrical because he's like been in the CW minds. Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem for, I think, a lot of people on, like, this 
television superhero side of things because even uh in doom patrol the kid who plays um cyborg on that like i understand they weren't nice to the guy who played cyborg in the movies i get that but to be honest the kid on on doom patrol so good better doom patrol is is the such an underrated television series it, it breaks my heart that people aren't don't know about it. It's the man on fire of comic book TV shows. Agreed. <laughs> I find though that it's I, I think a lot of people, even me, it lost me for a little while. Like I keep going back to it every once in a while. Um, is that it, it's it is a little too dark, I think. Like it's wacky and weird and does some beautiful things and nice things and everything, but there's just like an overall darkness to the whole story that I think it loses people sometimes where you know where you have like legends of tomorrow or whatever where it's like it's pure camp and it's kind of silly and everybody's having a good time Ooh, something bad happened and then it's fun again yeah you know whereas Doom Patrol is like you know we're gonna cuss at you guys a lot you know somebody's gonna come out of like a like a goat's butt and we're gonna have a drag show on a sentient street but also I'm going to talk about my dead child and, you know, the history I, I never got to do and the, my falling apart of my life. And my parents tried to like my father tried to like destroy, take away my humanity, blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's just this like overarching darkness all the time that you're just like, oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but I think it strikes that balance of like levity and dark. But you're right. I can't I, I always need to take like. I, it was an unbingeable show. Thank God I've only been watching it yeah. as it's been airing because, mm-hmm. like, the it, I think it's exhausting. It's exhausting it's to watch, exhausting. But, it's, but it's good. So, yeah. I, who am I to complain? Yeah. Um, but uh, it's yeah, it's one of those shows that just people don't really know much about. But the the whole Victor Stone's arc with Alan Tudyk and Silas Stone, that whole arc yeah. in that first season is just, and I, 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 I actually can't think of a better villain performance in a TV show ever than Alan Tudyk as Mr. Nobody. To be honest, Alan Tudyk can do no wrong in my book. He does yeah. voice work. He acts like, you know, he, he's just like everything I have seen him in his performance I've seen him in some bad movies. It's fine. Yeah. But his performance is always good. Like even like Tucker and Dale and stuff like cheesy, you it's know, so good. Stuff, but you're just like, why are you so good in this? Right. Like, and he does like voice work in um, Star vs. the Force of Evil. Uh, he plays like Ludo and stuff. And I'm just like, why are you amazing at this? Like, why is this like so good? He is so good in the Harley Quinn TV series. Yes. Oh my God. Which is back next week. Back next week. I'm going to be on that. I'll probably watch it while it airs. Um, I I love the show. Like I was shocked how good that show ended up being. Me too. Because I was like, I was like, oh, Kelly Cuoco and the guy who created shit. My dad says is making a Harley Quinn series. Great. Great. And then I watched that first episode and went, oh, fuck. All right. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> they got they got writers on there who know the characters, know the world, and they worked with it. And it, the thing is, the show actually goes in. It's really fun. It's really light. But it does actually go into some dark places as well, because Harley Quinn's origin is actually kind of sad. Yeah. Um, and but they go into it and they're like, it's really a show you know what the movie birds of prey tried to do with her like she's trying to find herself that's what the show does in a much better way 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. And like, I, you know, I, I there's flaws to the Birds of Prey movie, but I I think it nailed a lot of things. Uh, Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. Was oh, he's so amazing. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the show I think has more room to grow and breathe and touch on like Harley's and, and Ivy's growth curves, right? Like, yeah, I, it probably took them a lot of restraint uh, to jump straight into the you know harl ivy relationship romance thing um, mm-hmm. but that pays off because like now there's a reason why that thing like that relationship exists as opposed to just let's make a fan service thing yes. it's like no let's build up something organic that's meaningful that will resonate with audiences that will make the characters true to themselves mm-hmm. etc yes yeah and and i i loved that about it like i absolutely love that about it um and i love the fact that the show has all of these characters that have like never heard of essentially a lot of them now most of them no most of them i have but like kite man i don't know anything about kite man actually <laughs> but i mean he's he's kind of like a throwaway hilarious character that kind of just gets in the way but oh my god i love kite man now yeah and i'm like oh i gotta find out more about him kite man and condiment great. king condiment <laughs> king's the fucking best <laughs> oh it's such a good show um but yeah i mean speaking of that we go back to I'm, I'm going to bring it back to, uh, you know, man from uncle and stuff. Yes. It just kind of like the color palette and the brightness and the levity, but balanced with the seriousness, it just works so well, you know, like when you have good actors, whether it's voice or visual working on scripts that make sense and go places and build on the character instead of just being like, you know, filler in between people punching each other it makes a difference and you see it, you hear it and people who care about what it looks like even just makes it work. You mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. I, I also want to uh, touch on the, the soundtrack choice for man from uncle was impeccable as is. God, yes. I mean, look, there's one thing you can rely on a guy, Richie film to have. It's an amazing music. Um, that Roberta like, Flack song that they started off with was yep. just oh on par, yeah. And like you know, getting like Nina Simone on there, Solomon Burke, um, mm-hmm. Samora Coney as well, just to like and Sergio Pizzorno to remind you that we're in Italy. Like yes. a lot of those beautiful performances were great. Like it was, and they got to use the original Man from Uncle theme there at the very end, which was mm-hmm. fun, good, good times. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like. I mean, you were talking before about how there's different types of Guy Ritchie films. And to be honest, I forgot this was a Guy Ritchie movie, (laughs) Uh, like while watching it, which is a very odd thing for me because Guy Ritchie is so, even if he's doing different things, Guy Ritchie's movies are very specific. You know, like he does, you know, like every, every director I find has like a signature thing that they do. Um, but I find in this movie, it was less noticeable that it was Guy Ritchie. Yeah, agreed. I, it really didn't feel like one of his films, except for when you start looking at the like cinematography and the music. Um, yes. But yeah. pacing wise, like the dialogue didn't feel like Guy Ritchie dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. which I, again, I, I, I like Locks Stock. I quite enjoy Snatch. I just find that there was a wave of movies that tried to all be like Guy Ritchie after that. And then when yes. Guy Ritchie tried to be Guy Ritchie again just with Revolver, yeah. uh, it didn't work. Uh, also, but RIP Ray Leona. I can't, I can't speak too ill of Revolver because, because yeah. we're, because of Ray. Yeah. Um, and the, I hate the Sherlock Holmes films. 
Really? Uh, I don't mind the first one. The first one was okay. First one was okay. But the second one is hot garbage. But again, it created a trope that everyone started emulating. Yep. Like it was like bullet time from the Matrix, the whole like slow down time. I'm going to hit your jaw and then I'm going to mm-hmm. punch your abs and then it'll all play out. Every single fucking movie for like. Yep six years thereafter and right now my problem is the deadpool movie did so well that every movie's trying to be deadpool and everybody's breaking the fourth wall and everybody's like not just movies video games are getting there too every single goddamn line in a video game is a fourth wall breaking quip and i'm tired of it yes yeah you're just like and and again you know we talked about how long it took to get this movie made and then you know I'm surprised more movies didn't come out like this, but I think also, again, is because when it was released and nobody saw it, but if this movie made money, we would have seen 35 movies after it that was exactly the same. Yeah. And at the time, I would have gladly liked to see maybe four or five movies like it because this movie is, I love it. Um, It's just like, I don't know. I think, I think, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I think entertainment right now, which I know is supposed to, it's art and it reflects our society and blah, 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 blah. But it's just too dark. You know, everything is serial killers and seriousness and people being horrible to each other and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, can we do something else? (laughs) That'd be fun. I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting, I'm feeling real like gritty ennui. I'm feeling tired of, of, everything being dark like Snyder cut this and and like as much as I enjoy the boys it is definitely um you know suffers from that problem too but it's satirical at the very least its whole purpose is to point out how shitty things are and you know poke fun at that but um yeah I'd like a little bit of levity you know go back to the let's have like a like a five-year run of like the 90s era sitcoms where everything was just like (laughs) nonsense garbage like like Frasier yeah Yeah, I would love that I remember a few years ago there was a show called um Friends from College that came out on Netflix um and it was yeah it dealt with like topics but like on a sitcom level so it wasn't didn't get too gritty or too whatever it's just literally about they're adults now they're friends from college and their life interacting with each other and what they're doing with their lives that's literally what the show is about and it had a great cast, like Colby Smalder and Keegan Mike Keegan Michael Key. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what's his face? Um, uh, oh my God, the Wonder Years kid. Um, oh my God. Oh, um, <laughs> ah, he's 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 in he's in trouble right now. Um, uh, Wait, he's, is he? Yeah, he's being. Uh, being canceled for something um, oh no i think it might just be being a really fred savage fred savage yeah. yeah apparently he's um it, it's not like in, in the scheme a grand scale of like bad things it's not terribly bad but apparently he's a real like yelly shouty abusive director and the cast yeah. was mad that he was he, there was like a lot of like oh he was really mean on set which okay you know not a good thing to do in your workplace, but at least he didn't sexually assault anyone or kidnap them. You know, know. They, these are the bars. These are the bars we currently have to work with. I know it's so horrible, right? Uh, you know, we haven't it, talked. You know, we haven't talked about yet. What? Uh, my theory that Man on Fire killed Mark Anthony's film career. Oh. Have you seen Mark Anthony in a film since Man on Fire? No, isn't that around the time he broke up with J Lo? Oh, it might be. 
Yeah, when did they break up? Yeah. Uh, let's go to the Wikipedia. He married J-Lo in 2004. So this is right around the time he married her. Oh. So he's like, I got a sugar mama now. I don't need to do film. Don't need to do anything. And he quit. <laughs> and then he was gone for too long. And Hollywood's like, nah, we're over it. Thank you. Yeah. We, we liked you in Hackers, but... <laughs> Uh, no, I actually thought he did a pretty good job in Man on Fire, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's anything, I don't think he did anything in it to kill his career. I just think it's really funny to see that, like, I don't think he has another role. Well, what does Wikipedia say? He had a, a role in El Cantante with him and J-Lo. Okay. Hector, Hector Laveau. Last year, he starred in a musical called In the Heights. Yep. That's the Lin-Manuel Miranda Oh, and then I get, oh, he was on Hawthorne. He was a, he was a recurring guy on Hawthorne for a little bit, but I'm looking at his Wikipedia, uh, his IMDb and it's a lot of just music videos. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he was a musician first acting second, but it is funny. He marries JLo and it's like, all right, throw this Hollywood shit out the window. Yeah. You don't got to work for that anymore. What else? Oh, he's in like several JLo music videos here. (laughs) That, That makes sense. That's where he was going with it. I get it. Yeah, like, I, you know, I think, again, going back to Man on Fire, there's just a bunch of scenes that I'm like, I felt were overwrought. Like the, the scene where he, where he tortures Jorge, um, the, the syndicate dude. Is that the one where he's cutting? Yes. That's cutting the fingers off. Yeah. I was like, eh, the Palma did this better. Yeah. But I think so. So I was looking at that scene and I was like, I think this this is the first, the fir- he's the first guy he gets, right? Where he's yeah. like, I'm on my revenge thing. You're the first guy. And I think the reason why that scene was so long was they want to show how brutal he can be. Like we've, we've heard he was in like the military and he did, he toppled some governments, blah, blah, blah. But he was sweet to this little girl and blah, blah, blah. So you're just like, he's not that bad. Then he starts cutting off fingers and you're like, oh, yeah, oh he's bad. okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. Um, but I think if every scene after that was that long, I would have a problem with it. But then they also get to the bomb in the butt thing. And I was just like, that was a lot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, one thing I did like about the movie, though, is that it didn't do the whole like, tough guy punch out thing which happened for a long time where it's just like no it's fisticuffs everywhere even if we have weapons i'm just gonna beat the shit out of people whereas this was just like i'm just walking real slow and real cool in my suit i have blown you up with a um a little a grenade here and that's it yeah you know and like you know, kudos to this film for like yes, it was giving into the the societal fears of Mexican kidnappings, which were a big thing um, in the you know cartel kidnappings in the two thousands were like all the headlines. But it flips it on its head by being a thing arranged by the father, right? Like an yeah. insurance scam. And I I kind of like that that it wasn't you know overt laziness of like let's go get these evil Mexican cartels. It's like no. They were all corrupt and they were all in on it. And they were all in on it. Yeah. Like the, um, the guy who's the head of the kidnapping department of the police was like, no, I'm the head of the people who are doing this. Yeah. You know, so the, it was, it, it was pretty good. And I like, I liked that, that resolution. Um, 
Do you know there was an there was an 80s man on fire that I've never yes. seen with Scott Glenn? Yeah, 1987. It had Joe Pesci was in it. Hey, yeah. there you go. Apparently, uh, so apparently it's based on a book that was released in 1980 of the same name. And uh, the difference is, is that uh, Creasy was part of the French Foreign Legion in that one. And we uh. take place in Italy. Um, so and that's the same as the book. So the 1987 movie and the book Italy. But then a year after this movie came out, um, there's a Hindi a movie in Hindi where the translated title is called A Stranger that is based off of the same book. And it's like the same storyline. Oh, cool. I don't know where it happens in the world, though. I didn't dive deep enough into it. But, you know, I'm assuming it's somewhere in like India or Pakistan or something. It's probably, you know, in their part of the world. Yeah. To, oh, like, the Western world. It actually it looks like it takes place in in Bangkok. Oh, OK. He's like, like the, the main guy's like an ex Indian army officer. Uh living in Bangkok and yeah. like, yeah, so it's like a Thai, that, uh, I, I really, I, I like that idea, like a Thai thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Actually, when I found that, I was like, I kind of want to see that version of the movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and another thing that I saw on IMDb was that apparently Tony Scott got the idea for the film by he went into like a video store that apparently Quentin Tarantino was working because we all know Quentin Tarantino used to work in a video store mm-hmm. and um he asked he asked him he's like what's a good movie to watch and Man on Fire the original 1987 Man on Fire was uh. the movie he suggested and yeah so he's had this like he had the idea for a while and then then did it so yeah oh good for him mm-hmm. yeah all right, man. R.I.P. Tony Scott. I'm I'm sad. You know, of all the things, I still haven't seen Top Gun Two: Electric Boogaloo. I hear it's real. <laughs> I hear it's real good. Like I can't believe a Top Gun movie has a 96 percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Which is- I think I think the movie is quote unquote good. I think the movie is exactly what you're expecting. So then people are just like, okay, fine. Yeah. Because like the original Top Gun, I'm sorry, it's a bad movie. But if you watch it, it's exactly what you expect. Exactly. I so expect a move. Like- I expect an incredibly homoerotic volleyball film. And I yes. got my homoerotic volleyball film. Apparently, what did they they play football in this one, I think? And apparently it's a, it's just as homoerotic. Everybody they better be playing playing with the boys if they don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I I'm a little sad that Tony Scott what didn't get to live to see that, you know, like because mm. like yeah, again, like no one no one's writing missives about the great works of Tony Scott. Like I yeah. love action films, so it's I'm, I'm a big fan, but you know, it's not like the Academy is remembering Tony Scott, right. In the way that they would remember someone else. But the fact that Top Gun is like the, the new one is like a critics wet dream. Um, it's just, a, it's sad that he's not around to, to witness to that. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of action flicks are highly underrated simply because of what they are. Mm-hmm. You know. Same thing with comedies. Like same thing with comedies, yeah. And also, I think comedies are a lot harder. I think it's easier to make someone cry than it is to make someone laugh. And to have a good comedy out there to be ignored continuously is just shocking to me. Yeah, absolutely shocking. I so, will say, I will say, um, what makes me happy about Top Gun Maverick being so well received for its direction and filmography is it's fucking Joe Kaczynski finally getting his comeuppance. So Joe Kaczynski directed Tron Legacy and Oblivion, 
two films that do not get any credit for they're what they are. Amazing. And they're films. both amazing. They're both like, amazing movies. I never I never understood why people hated Tron Legacy so much. Yes, it's a little cheesy and stuff, but it's it's Tron. Like if you watch the original, the, the concept and the content, it's the same thing. It's so it, it's it's very much Tron. And like he got he got dragged. In fact, I don't think after after Oblivion, I don't think he worked for like five or six years. Um, like he, he was an ad director. He came from the ad world, went and did Tron stuff and, and Tron and Oblivion and then like got put back in jail, I guess, in, uh, in film jail. And now that Maverick is like, you know, box office and critical success, I hope he gets whatever the fuck he wants next. Yeah. Yeah. I, why don't people like Oblivion? Exactly. I don't, I don't understand I don't, that. I don't know. I just I think it was a, just a like a like a box office. I don't think it was a failure, but I think it was like a, you know a hundred million dollar film that did like one twenty. You know, uh, it just wasn't. It made money, just not enough money. Not enough money for anyone to get out of bed, right? Yeah, I don't know. I I watch that movie very regularly. Yeah, uh, I thoroughly that one and Edge of Tomorrow. I know they're both Tom Cruise movies, but both I don't great, know. Great films. They're great movies, and I don't like. I'm not a big fan of Tom Cruise the person. But it, but it makes me so angry. He makes good movies. Like, he just you know, does. Tom Cruise, the actor, is just fucking amazing. And, like, I, I will respect a commitment to the craft that he has. Like, he's going to do his own stunts and learn how to fly a fucking jet because he feels like that'll make it more realistic. I think he's an insane weirdo. But, man, he's a dedicated insane weirdo. Mm-hmm. At least he's not, um, like... He's technically not a method actor. Like he doesn't yeah. stay in character or whatever. He's like, no, I need to learn. My character does these things. I'm going to learn the skills so I can present them correctly. Exactly. And that is fine. But he's not like, you know, doing Coke in the back. If he's making, doing like a Coke dealer. No. Yeah. He's not. Yeah. Method acting is mostly bullshit. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's an excuse for people to act like assholes on set. I think the only exception is Daniel Day-Lewis, because I don't think anyone's complained about, like, working with Daniel Day-Lewis. No, like, he stays in character and he stays away from people when he's in character, but he doesn't actively torture anyone with it. Yeah, he's not like fucking Jared Leto, fuck fuck face. He's idiot. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I heard stories about him doing, like, Joker and stuff, and you're just like, why? It's a two-bit role in a bad bad movie. Like, what are you doing? I think it was just his excuse to be an asshole. Yeah, no, yeah. that's unacceptable. I don't like that. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, method acting is just, I think it's torture for your co-stars and it's torture for yourself for no reason. And then you forget who you are and then you just become this other thing and it's not work. The only person that worked for is Jeff Bridges when he became the dude and he's been that <laughs> yes. ever since. Yeah, I mean, uh, the dude was like the best kind of method acting. You're just like laid back and like, hey man, just drink some white Russians. Don't give a fuck. Exactly. Get a rug that brings yeah. the room together and you're done. You're just, exactly. you're good. You're good. Nobody's going to be mad at that. It's fine. Okay. You're not bothering anybody. Exactly. But, yeah. but as soon as you start putting like dead animals in people's rooms and stuff and yelling and screaming and pushing people and assaulting them. No, got no, got to walk away. Not yeah. acceptable. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which brings us all the way back to Army Hammer. Oh, God. He doesn't play a cannibal in this movie, so no, it no, doesn't. He does not hear it. He does not method act. Uh, yeah, no, I just... One thing I thought was really hilarious about this movie is that the two American agents that you, you meet, like Henry Cavill and his boss, are both British. Yep. They play American. Uh, yep. They play Americans. And then 
I mean, you have the one British guy who plays British and then you have the American guy playing a Russian and you're just like, what? What is happening here? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's the whole Highlander thing. Cast a Frenchman to play a Scot, cast a Scot to play a French, Italian, Egyptian, you know. Something or other. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which always made no sense to me. Haggish, what's that? Sounds disgusting. Is the greatest fucking line in the film. <laughs> Now, there is a that there's a movie I have not watched in a long time, but I also think the last time I watched it was like I think I watched it way too early and then I watched it way too late. Mm, you know what yeah. I mean? So like it took way too long for me to get back to it, and then I watched it again. I was like, what the fuck is this? What is wrong with you people? And then I watched like the TV show, which made surprisingly oh, yeah. more sense than the movie. And then the second movie came out, and you're just like, this is even worse. With what's I don't his know name? What's Canadian, uh, Canadian actor uh, in in the because all done in Vancouver and Toronto, the Highlander uh, TV series, Paul yeah. something, Paul Adrian Paul, Adrian Paul. Adrian Paul. That's what his name was. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, that I don't like. I still don't like the show is infamous instead of famous. If you know what I mean, where you're just like. Why do I know this? Why do so many people know it? Why can people quote this movie? It's so bad. Stop looking at it. Let it go away. I, I unabashedly love that stupid show. But I also like uh, Forever Night. Remember that vampire detective Forever show? Night. Yeah. No. Oh, man. You want to talk about bad Canadian TV shows from that exact time. It was about a homicide detective who worked in Toronto, who was also an 800-year-old vampire named Nick Knight. Why have I not seen this? 92 to 96. Yeah, yeah, on, yeah, yeah, it was. Oh it was my God, that sounds amazing. Filmed in Toronto, set in Toronto. Oh God. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it's, it's fucking amazing. My God. Now that is, that is something I need to look at. Like sure. the, the dude who played Nick Knight didn't really have, like he was also using all the Canadian shows at that time. Like, he was in uh Oh, Airwolf. I recognize him. He was in Airwolf, he was in Littlest Hobo, he was in Black Harbor, he was oh in Robocop God. Prime Directives, if you remember that. <laughs> yes, I do remember that one. Cracker. <laughs> this is amazing. I, I wonder if I can track down this show. I gotta find I have to find this show. This is something I need to look at. I think it's all on YouTube if I'm if or at least a lot of it, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be honest. I don't yeah. think anyone's really enforcing the rights to Forever Night. No, they're probably just like, look, just leave it. It's too, like it's just too much effort to stop this yes it is all on youtube that's there you a, go that's a thing that's gonna happen <laughs> yeah i i watched through the first season again uh like a year ago like during the pandemic i went a little crazy mm-hmm. i wanted to watch some garbage canadian television <laughs> i don't know there's no canadian television i want to go back to like i watched like i remember watching like j-pod and i did oh, watch like one yeah. episode of like what is it the frankie whatever mysteries my mother loves the show Sue Thomas FBI. Oh yeah, Sue Thomas oh, FBI, yeah. <laughs> I have watched that series from beginning to end several times and it's embarrassing for me to admit this. <laughs> it's just a thing that happens. Look, it's um, okay. We all we all have our uh, <laughs> we all have our times. We have our things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Sentinel. Sorry, I scrolled down to the the stuff the more like this. I remember the Sentinel. Oh yeah, that wasn't that wasn't Canadian though. No. Oh my God! I just learned that in 1989, the same guy who ended up getting Forever Night greenlit made a short film called Nick Knight 
the exact same plot, except he was in LA instead of Toronto. Uh, and I've never seen this. And it was Rick Springfield as Nick Knight. Oh my God. Okay. I got to, I got to hunt that down. That might be one of those like lost pilot things, but. I love that. Like five minutes ago, you're just like, there's too much to watch. It's so good. Blah, blah, blah. Got to watch this thing. Got to watch this, this horrible, this, this probably terrible pilot with Rick Springfield from 1989. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it's going to bring pure joy to your heart. You know yeah, it. Exactly. You know it. Yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I have a lot more to say on, on Man on Fire or Man from Uncle. Like, Man from Uncle, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's it's on, I, I think it's on a streaming platform where you can get it, like, you can buy it or rent it on, like, every digital service. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like, I tell people to watch it all the time. Of course, nobody ever listens to me. Um, and I'm actually kind of lucky to have this in my collection because, um, so this movie, so when I started the podcast, I like told people and everything. And I think my mom was being very nice and she bought me a couple of movies to put on my shelf. And I was like, I already have a few hundred, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, and this was, this was one of them. So I was just like. I was thoroughly happy because A, I love this movie and B, it gives me a chance to talk about it because not enough people talk about this movie and it shocks me. Um, this is also one of the Alicia Vikander movies. Like I did see it X back and on stuff. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but I also saw like Tomb Raider. And to be honest, this is like the movie I like her the best in that yeah. I've seen her in. I had, I had like, yeah, by the time I saw Man from Uncle, I'd already seen Tomb Raider. And I was like, uh, I don't know. She's okay. Yeah. Uh, and then I, she won me over with this. Um, and cause I watched it like shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hear she's really good in the green Knight. I still have not seen. I have green not Knight. seen that one either. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see that. Um, and I think she was, she was, didn't she play Gloria Steinem recently? <laughs> in, in Gloria? That I do not know. I think so. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, but either way, there's a couple of Vikander, Alicia Vikander films I need to catch up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I like her. There's something nice about her. Um, but I don't know. Like I find she tends to be in roles that doesn't fit her. Like she's not, I think she's badly cast. Like I don't think she's doing a bad job. I think she's badly cast in a lot of roles. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think like they, I, I think she's one of those people that's hard to find a fit for. Yes. Um, and I think maybe because this was a movie that was out of time, it, she she does come across very 60s like, you know, that very tiny, petite, big hair, you know, yep. got a bit of a mouth on her. But bright colors works. For yeah, her. it does. Yeah. But like modern action hero, I was just like, that's no, that, mm, no, not happening. Not really. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, and there's, sorry, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about was at the end of the movie when they do the raid on the island where they're keeping her and her father and they do a bunch of like weird split screen things Mm -hmm. going through it. And I have seen that technique used in other films. Please don't ask me to name any, but I remember seeing another stuff. And this is one of the few times where I'm like, this was done correctly and I really like it. So the, the technique was created by William Friedkin um, for the French connection. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, I love the way they did it. And it was obviously a throwback to that era of film, right? Yes. I think it was William Friedkin. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to. Yeah, because like I was sitting there looking at it. And I'm like, I know this, this harkens back to something, but my brain could not be like, what do I Google? Or can I like remember a person in the movie and I can look up the movie and the blah, blah, blah. But I was like, no, I've seen this in other films, but I can't really put my finger on what those other films were for this. And I was just like, I was looking at it and I was just like, it's done so well and so like intensely. And it's also done in a way where you actually see all of the action, which I really like because one thing I hate in a lot of action movies is like when like the big action sequence happens, the camera's cutting every three seconds and it's moving all around and you just can't actually see what's going on. Yeah. And that drives me nuts. Whereas this, it's like, even though they did the split screen and they're going in different directions and doing different things, you see exactly what is happening in each scene. And that on a big screen, like in a theater would have looked amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. And on a small screen, it was a little bit too jumbled but still got the effect across perfectly. I was wrong. Uh, it was Norman Jewison. So let's bring it back oh. to Toronto, baby. Yay, with the Canadian. Thomas Crown Affair, the original Thomas Crown Affair from the 60s. Oh, nice. Uh, it was the first film. Um, at, like one of the first films, I think like um, uh, the Boston Strangler used it too, the Fleischer film. Um, okay. But Jewison was the one who like went double down on the technique. So, and it's the one, that's the one people remember, like the, that- the visual one. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the way this movie ended, if it made money in the theater, we'd have like three more, uh, which would have been amazing. Um, I'm very, because it was clear, like even with um, Hugh Grant showing up there, like his role was so small. And it was very clear that if there was another movie, his role would have been a lot bigger because he was going to be like the lead of like uncle and all that kind of stuff and like giving them their assignments and, and everything. It would have been great, and I would have loved to have seen those movies, but too bad. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I don't think it's ever happening. They were they were humming and hawing about a sequel in 2017, and then it's been nothing for five years. So I'm gonna yeah. guess that's dead. And then you know, one of their main actors ran away for yeah people to the Cayman days. Islands. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you know, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Fun in the sun on the Caymans. Who can complain? <laughs> Uh, all right what's your final thought on these two movies uh okay so the man from uncle will be my lock of the week every week go see (laughs) it um fuck yeah i again i will never say a bad word about it um man on fire good like it's a tony scott film but you know it's and it's it's not a late tony scott film either like it's a tony scott film it's solid you're not going to be disappointed but like if you have any rose-tinted glasses or nostalgia from when you saw Man on Fire or from like training day era Denzel Washington, you might be a little disappointed in Man on Fire. In Man on Fire that's just my my opinion. Um, I don't think it, it held as strong uh, as some of its peers um, in with the with hindsight in effect. But again, it's still a good time. If you're, someone will suggest it and you're at a, you know, a watching party, you want, you're going through Tony Scott's filmography or you're going on a, on a you know a Denzel fest or a walking fest, don't skip it. Don't pass it by. But yeah, it's still worth a watch. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, um, I also agree with you for man man from Uncle because I just think not enough people have seen this movie and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
Uh, well, Julian, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me this week. Always a pleasure. Oh, yes, always is. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. Until next time, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Oh My Shelf, or you can send an email to OhMyShelf at gmail.com. On the next episode, we'll be talking about the fun movies, Mars Attacks, and Masters of the Universe. Oh, hell Hope yeah. you'll be here to listen.